This episode contains explicit and adult content. Listener discretion is advised. All cases and stories covered by this podcast are true stories involving real people. The opinions of the host and any interviewees are simply that, opinions. The credibility of any witnesses and what they say is to be determined by the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. I found out that she had... um... She had stolen a few things from my father, and that's why I thought she wasn't answering. I thought she was just embarrassed of what she did. Some parts of her life she kept private, and I think that's that's hurting us from finding her. Monica Chazar was reportedly last seen on July 11, 2018, just after midnight. Someone dropped her off at the corner of Barton Street and Parkdale Avenue in the parking lot of a dimly lit beer store just a couple of hundred meters away from the apartment building where she was allegedly staying. She has not been seen or heard from since. This is part two to Monica Chazar's story. And this is your host, Genevieve Germain. Just a few items about this podcast. True Crime Real Time is a bi-weekly podcast covering missing persons and unsolved murders. We're available across many platforms such as CastBox, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, and many others. Links, information, and pictures relating to the cases or stories we cover can be found on our website at www.truecrimerealtimepod.com or on our Instagram account or on our Facebook page. The links to Instagram, our website, and our Facebook page can be found on the podcast channel description. Photos, as well as any other information, are generally posted at the same time as when the episode is published. Now back to the show. If you haven't listened to part one of Monica's story, or it's been a while, I suggest you go back and listen to that first before listening to this episode. To give you a brief overview of where we left off, Monica Chazar had just returned from Portugal and according to her cousin, was back working. She apparently was staying with a friend in an apartment on Melbourne Street close to the beer store on Barton and Parkdale in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. She was working on the evening or night of July 10th, 2018 and a friend drove her close to where she was staying after her work shift. This friend dropped her at the beer store parking lot just after midnight on the 11th of July, which was a Wednesday. According to the news conference held earlier in the year, the police have not been able to trace her steps past this date and time. It's unknown why she was dropped off at this location instead of directly to her apartment building. Law enforcement have not been able to confirm the identity of the friend where Monica was allegedly staying. The beer store parking lot would have been dimly lit at the time with little foot or vehicle traffic as the area is mainly apartment buildings, bungalows, the beer store and a Kia dealership. 
both the Kia dealership and the beer store would have been closed at the time. We've had the opportunity to speak to Monica's sister for this part of her story. If one or two more people hear about it and they happen to see something or saw something that can lead to anywhere, that would be great. Like I said, I just want more people to know about it. Like you said, it's sometimes it's um, under the radar. Not a lot of people hear about it. I feel like that's what's happening in her situation. So whatever I can do. Well, my sister would have turned uh, 30 in September 25th. I hope that... Uh, now we'll see her again, but for right now, I don't know whether she's out there or she isn't. Um, she was about five foot seven. Um, she changed her hair color. So brown hair, red hair sometimes. She's even had blonde hair. So it's hard to say. Last I saw her, it was like a reddish brown. Um, average weight, I would say. Um, she had a few tattoos, uh, one with her son's name, um, another that said, I love my dad, stars on her neck. She had gone back from Europe just before she went missing, uh, maybe four or five days be afterwards. Um, she didn't have a job as far as I knew when she got back, but she did say she was looking for something in a bar. She she had left to Europe. She had a job before she left Europe. But then she left Europe. I know she didn't have it when she got back right away, but uh, it was a coincidence that she got back July 3rd from Europe, and I had left Europe July 3rd. So we were actually at the airport at the same time. So when she was missing, when she first went missing, I wasn't even in Canada. So I don't know. She could have potentially got something. The last I heard, she was already here, and she said she was looking for something. But maybe a couple days later, she got something. I, I don't know. So that could be wrong. I don't know. Did she have any boyfriends or you know, people that she was talking to at the time? She had a boyfriend before she left from Europe. I don't know what their status was upon coming back. Like I said, I wasn't in the country. That was my issue a little bit. Why I couldn't pin a couple of things together is because I was in Italy. Do you know what that boyfriend's name was or no? No, I don't know. I know he lives in the Hamilton area. That's about it. So you were in Italy. You must have been there for a bit. Yeah, a couple of weeks. And then when I when I came home, I started trying to call her um, and call and call and call and message on Facebook and whatever else I could find to communicate. There was no answer. Um, and then a few couple of weeks after that, uh, I mean, not actually a couple of days after that, I found out that she had um, she had stolen a few things from my father. And that's why I thought she wasn't answering. I thought she was just embarrassed of what she did. Um, and that's why she was ignoring our calls. So, and then I just, that's why it took me so long to even report it to the police because we just thought she was ignoring us because she had done that quite a few times. It wasn't the first time that was the problem. So knowing that and now thinking about the fact that it took so long to report, it just drives me crazy. Um, yeah, so that, that was the issue. So that, that happened and it, it was like, you know, she just, she just, I guess it was just a pattern that she was in. That's why I didn't know too much about who she was hanging out with. Uh, I knew she had relations to the Hamilton area and Toronto area. Uh, police had released that she had some connections to the kitchen area. I, d I didn't know of any of these. So I have no idea. So some parts of her life she kept private, and I think that's, that's hurting us from finding her. Did you ever find out from the police or from anybody who actually dropped her off at the corner of Barton and Parkdale? I, I do know who. It's a family friend. Okay. Just a, a name he prefers to be anonymous. So I'll just put anybody else into Prime without their permission. But we do know that's a family friend who dropped her there. 
So I guess the question that um, we were having about the location for the drop-off, because she had mentioned to, to whoever dropped her off, presumably because that's what the police had said, that yeah. she was staying at one of the apartment buildings nearby, but she didn't. She got only got dropped off at that parking lot of the beer store. So we're wondering why that location. That, uh, what he said is that um, that's what she asked, and I'm assuming that's because she didn't want us to know. Like I said, she kept aspects of her life private. And, um, oh, because she didn't want anybody to know where she was I, I assume, right, because I didn't see really a motive to be dropped off at the plaza with bags and all, from my understanding. Yeah, because it was it was dark. It was just after midnight, and the lighting wasn't that great. Yeah, so I don't I don't know, but I don't even know somebody that would have been in there, any friend of hers, nothing like that. She's never mentioned somebody in that area. Do you know, because in the press conference that Dave gave back in March of this year, he had said that at that time, the person that she was allegedly staying with on Melvin Street in one of the apartment buildings that wasn't known to them, do you know if that person ever came forward? Not as far as I know. If they if they have, the police haven't mentioned it to me. I know it's still an ongoing investigation, so I don't know. But no, not as far as I know. Person that gave Monica a drive was you said it was a family friend. Was there anybody yep. else in the car? Because the police alluded that uh, there was more than one person. I only know of the one. He didn't mention anything, so I don't think so. And we did. I did sit down and speak, obviously, because I was trying to. At the beginning, I was trying to gather information. Yeah. So I didn't. I didn't hear anything about anybody else. So did you want to tell me a little bit more about Monica's personality, kinds of things that you know she was into maybe the last little bit of leading up to when she disappeared? Um, well, she was, you know, she was outgoing and she wanted to have fun. Unfortunately, I think that she went a bit down a, the wrong path a little bit, um, too many parties and all that. And um, I know that she wanted to get her life in order. She really wanted to... Um, get her be with her son her son's in Mexico and um, she really she really wanted to you know just get a job get her apartment together just take the next step in her life that's pretty much the last time I spoke to her that's what she was trying to do she was planning a trip to um, Mexico for that August so she disappeared in July and August she was planning on going to see her son in Mexico so I've been in touch with the father and he hasn't heard anything. Hmm. The father of her son, sir. Yeah. And the last, so Monica had more than one um, profile, I guess, on Facebook and some other things. Two, yeah. So her last post was July 8th. Yeah. Okay. That's right. There was no other posts after that date on Instagram or anything like that? Nowhere, nowhere. I've checked everything. When her WhatsApp was last logged into, like it would say last seen on, nothing. That was the last date. Um, her Instagram, her Facebook. She never used the older Facebook for quite a bit. But the one that she was using, that was the last login. So when, what was the most recent date on the social media, including the WhatsApp and all that kind of stuff? It was, um, I mean, the WhatsApp was logged into the day, uh, like the day she went missing. Okay. So last seen online. And then the last post was, as you said, I believe July 8th on Facebook. And I think Instagram was the same. I believe she posted both posts, like the same post on each. In the WhatsApp, do you know what time it was? 
I don't have it anymore. It was on my old phone. That's the. I don't think it set a time anymore. I think it just set a date after a while. I'm just wondering if she made it back to that apartment. I don't know. What I do know is that I did try to call her from Italy around 11 p.m. Canada time. Mm -hmm. That date, and I didn't get an answer from my Facebook. I was trying to call. So that, that I, I don't know what during what time that date. Like, missing, did it just go ringing and ringing, or does yeah, like, ringing, just ringing, no, nothing else, just a missed call. Um, oh, so her phone was still like it wasn't dead or anything. No, no, I mean, but it is Facebook. I'm not sure if um, it wasn't directly to her phone line. It was to the Facebook line. I'm not sure if it still rings. I don't. Either way, I'm not. I don't know. I that's have no good, idea. That's a good question. I'm gonna test that because you know what. Um, if I'm assuming if you're not logged into anything, it won't work, but that's an assumption. So I'll, I'll yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to find out. And so, after that, I just gave, I mean, I sent as many messages I, as I could to her account, but it didn't make a difference. None were ever read. <sighs> yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, I gave all this, I mean, I gave all the hours and everything to the police at the time. So what pushed you to report her missing yeah so i was trying to get in touch trying to get in touch like i said we thought that she was just ignoring us because of what happened and but still time kept going on and her social medias weren't active that was my biggest concern i said okay she has done you know not the smartest things in the past but somehow we would know she's okay a friend will show us she'll post something on her facebook you know and then this time no activity no nothing and a week two weeks three weeks went by i'm like okay this is wrong <laughs> and then i started getting uh, a couple of her friends reaching out for me to me to ask of hey have you heard anything from her and that's when i realized like it's really wrong because nobody had heard from her not her family not her friends not her family from her mom's side um not her kid in mexico nobody and no posts on social media and that's just it, that's not like her when you reported her missing, what what were the steps that you had to do for that? Well, I went directly into the police station to file the report. Um, they took all the information from me. And uh, once they took the information, I guess they had to kind of look into their systems and all that. I had a phone call from somebody. Um, I went in, gave them everything I could. They asked me all, all sorts of questions to be able to fill in the gaps. And then they started doing their investigation. Um, then the article was released uh, on her, and then I guess at one point after, there wasn't really any leads or anything, and major crimes took over, and that's when we went in again to just freshen, I guess, the story for the new officers investigating. Did they ever yep, give sorry. any indication as to uh, why it was transferred over to major crime unit? Not really, but I'm, I'm assuming it's the amount of time. And I know that usually that's what they were saying, typical, you know, missing persons. You know, there's a lot of missing persons, but they're found, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours. But in her case, the situation is going on and with not really much leads. The other thing I wanted to ask you is if you had any message that you wanted to have played on the podcast, so if, if your sister is missing or to anybody who might know where she is or what happened... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if Monica's listening, I would like to tell her that I, I don't care where you are, what happened. I just want to know you're safe and that you have a family that's waiting for you and that's very worried. If anybody has any information to just help us, give us any little bit that would help bring her home. That's pretty much all.
Monica is described as being 5 foot 7 inches tall with an average build and green eyes. She was last seen with reddish brown hair, but was also known to have had red, brown, or blonde hair. She has a few distinctive tattoos. Two are on her upper back that say Ethan and I Love My Daddy FC. She also has a small star tattoo on the left side of her neck and a crown on her left wrist. Her last known location was at the beer store parking lot at the corner of Barton Street East and Parkdale Avenue North in Hamilton, Ontario. She had just returned from Portugal, was back at work, and was planning on traveling to Mexico the following month to see her son. Police suspect that foul play is involved in her disappearance. Anyone with any information, regardless if you think it may be small, is encouraged to come forward and contact Staff Sergeant Jim Callender with the Hamilton Police at 905-546-3829, that's 905-546-3829, or if you wish to remain anonymous, you can call in a tip to the Hamilton Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS, that's 1-800-222-TIPS, or via web, the web address will be posted in the show notes. For this episode, we had the privilege to speak with Kevin McKnight, a spokesperson and coordinator for the Hamilton Crime Stoppers, to tell us a little bit about the Crime Stoppers program. My name is Kevin McKnight. I'm the detective constable seconded into the unit of Crime Stoppers, the program. So I kind of wear two hats. It's a very interesting position. I am a sworn police officer, but I'm also wearing the hat of a civilian. So I have to be sure that the program runs properly and that the integrity of the program is always kept there. I am a detective constable, I am a sworn officer, but I'm in a seconded civilian position for the Crime Stoppers program because it is not a police program. Contrary to what many may believe, uh, it is not a police program, it's not run by the police service, and it's not even uh, financed or no money is given from the police service to the program. Can you go over a little bit how Crime Stoppers started, what the history is of that, and when the Crime Stoppers of Hamilton was established? Sure. That's a great question, Genevieve. Thank you. So Crime Stoppers, the program itself, it was when a young college student in Albuquerque, New Mexico, was murdered as he was working at a gas station. He was shot to death. There was a detective there by the name of Greg McAleese and he actually is a Canadian-born man, and this was back in 1976. He couldn't find any evidence in regards to suspects. He had no witnesses at the time, and it appeared that it was going nowhere for him. So having been a newspaper employee before and worked for the newspaper, he, I guess, went and used some innovative thinking and became aware of a way he could do a reenactment. So he utilized his own money and offered a reward for any information to help in the investigation. He aired it and within 72 hours he had suspects under arrest for the crime itself. He also received other information in regards to other incidents that took place as well. So it was quite interesting. From there, the program expanded. He took the program and it is over, I believe, 300 programs. It expanded uh, in the sense that he saw the value in it and wanted to make it a long-standing program where he got volunteers to work and help assist the program as well to make it stronger than what it was. Hamilton itself has the proud, I guess, bragging rights that we were the first Ontario program city uh, to bring Crime Stoppers and it was in 1983 when we did that. 
and it actually originated in Calgary for the first national one, but Hamilton is the bragging rights of. The first Crime Stopper program was brought to Ontario in Hamilton, and it was uh, Detective Gordon Torrance that attended an International Chiefs of Police training conference and saw the presentation and believed it was a new concept that would make a difference in policing, and he brought the idea back to Hamilton. So you touched on this a little bit. Is Crime Stoppers part of the police? So we are not, and that's one of the questions we get all the time, and we have to actually make sure people understand we are not the police service. We are a program that receives tips and we will forward them off to the police service. Uh, yes, I am a sworn police officer, but I'm seconded again to the unit and I act in the capacity of a civilian just to make sure the program is running the way it should be and we receive no funding from the police service as well. Who are your law enforcement partners? It's a great question and there are many. So all police services are our partners really and we also have partnerships with the Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry. Ministry of Transport and Ministry of Finance and we also do work with the HB SPCA which is the Hamilton Burlington uh, SPCA it's just to name a few. And can you go through how Crime Stoppers works? Sure I'd like to first say that we encourage anybody in the community who knows of a crime that has been committed or possibly observed a crime and may have information in regards to people responsible for any criminal activity to contact Crime Stoppers. The program itself, the way it works, is you can call in either by phone or you can go on the web and you can leave a tip as well. And it's completely anonymous. So when you call in, typically what happens is you'll have someone answer the phone and it'll either be a coordinator within the office themselves or if it's uh, after hours, it'll be a, a call center that will take it. But everybody that's trained in the, receiving the calls and how to speak to someone appropriately over the phone, so there's no identification of the person given whatsoever. Once the tip is generated through Crime Stoppers by telephone or the web, the information is recorded with an ID number. So it's uh, issued and a password is provided to you. So what happens is, after we get all the information, we create the tip. We now have created, um, I guess, in a sense, an identification of the tip. So that generates an ID number. And no ID number is the same, of course. We provide that ID number to the tipster. And we also provide a password. The reason for that is so if they want to provide more information or do follow-up in regards to their tip, they now have the ID number they can utilize and the password so they can do it via the web if they want as well. But it also protects that anonymity. That is the only identifier is the ID number and it doesn't even identify the person too because it's always generated and scrambled. The tipster can call or use the web like I said to use the password to provide information at any time and follow up as well and they can add information via the web whenever they want as well so providing they have that number. If they lose the number unfortunately we can't move forward with it because we can't say for certain that is the person that provided us with the information originally or give us information in regards to the tip itself. Uh, once that's generated, we, we take the tip and we forward it to the appropriate division or investigative section supervisor who then assigns it to an officer. The officer who's assigned it will assess the validity of the information in the tip and investigates it to see if it's appropriate to obtain any further evidence. And note it must be verified independently. Any information that comes in is only a suggestion to focus on an investigation in regards to the tips that come in. And it's never grounds for arrest as well. And typically the investigating officers of the units have about 60 days to work on the tip. If they need an extension, they'll contact us at Crime Stoppers and we can then move forward with letting them have more time with the tip. What are some different program initiatives that Crime Stoppers has? 
another great question. I'm glad you asked that one, Genevieve. So in regards to the partnerships, we have quite a bit. Currently, the board is working on initiatives for 2020. Some initiatives being looked at is golf tournament. And who doesn't love to golf, right? Mm -hmm. So I hope you'll join us if we get this going. And in the past, it's been a great success. And another murder mystery night like we just did. We just recently had a murder mystery night. So it was a great success. We've also have the plaque program for businesses who want to donate $100 a year with a five-year commitment. And I'll talk about that a little bit more um, in a minute. We have partnered with just recently. I'm pretty happy about this. I'm hoping you'll support this, Genevieve, too. So get get you get an order in. We just partnered with Granddad's Donuts. So for the month of January, it is International Crime Stoppers Month and we are selling a Crime Stopper donut to raise awareness and money for the Crime Stoppers program because we're based on fundraising and we're based on getting donations. That's how we run our program. That's what we depend on to make the program, which is so worthwhile to keep functioning too. And you, there's no no donut jokes allowed, by the way. As <laughs> I was well, like, right? so. say, I never met a donut. I didn't like it. So. <laughs> there you go. And then uh, we also have recently met with McMaster Mohawk and high school superintendents to uh, work on creating a uh, even a better stronger partnership as well with them and we just recently teamed with the city of Hamilton for entry signage so I know it may seem small to some people but it's it's actually really important and it's really big for us because when we have people enter the city we want them to see that the Crime Stopper program is available to them and get the signage out there so when you come into the city it's making everyone more aware of the program as well so those entry signages will be put up in a couple locations as you enter through the city and that's to come later in 2020 and we're in talks with other media outlets and to get Crime Stoppers out there too, just like true crime real time. So did you want to expand some more about how the program itself is supported? Donations and sponsorships and fundraising is really important. And one of the initiatives is the plaque program. We aren't provided money from the police service of the government. So we rely on donations or we do fundraisers like I talked about prior. And our plaque program is where we ask businesses to donate $100 a year with a five-year commitment and in turn they receive a plaque to display the show support for our program and there's also an appreciation night and we also involve them in other uh, we engage them and bring them out recognize them throughout the year for their donations to us we are always looking for community partners and donations for like I said a very worthwhile program so if anyone in your audience is interested they can always contact Trisha Holman in Crime Stoppers and uh, her number is 905-546-48 zero eight for any further details one of the biggest questions is is crime stoppers really anonymous great question so yes it is it really is anonymous from uh, top to bottom from the beginning to end so crime stoppers it's backed by a court case actually through the supreme court of canada and we do not subscribe to caller id and when tips are provided via the web, the IP addresses is all, they're all scrambled, they're not connected. So there's actually no way of us tracking or seeing an IP number. So if a tip comes to fruition, and a lot of places need there to be an arrest and a conviction, well, we don't, as long as there is something that really brings a charge or a completion to something and the tip helped with a, a charge, then that person is able to get a reward. And that reward itself is given an ID number. So how is the reward collected? That's a great question. Thank you, Genevieve, for asking that. So just so everybody understands, uh, we protect the anonymity from beginning to end. Uh, earlier I spoke about tipsers getting an ID number, and that is what they reference at all times, and the only thing they reference at all times. If a tip 
is found to have been of assistance and someone is arrested or charged, uh, as a result, there is a reward I spoke of and how the amount of the reward is determined in regards to the matrix. So that amount, once it's worked out, is put into an envelope and that is that envelope is given an ID number. The tipster is provided with the tip reward ID number and they can pick it up at locations across Hamilton and those locations always changed. All the tipster does is attends and refers to the ID number and at that time the reward is provided. There's never any conversation, there's never any questions and there's never any type of personal information provided, given or asked for at any time. And these locations have worked with Crime Stoppers for many, many years and they know the process as well. What kind of calls does Crime Stoppers take? So any relevant information pertaining to crimes, like I said earlier, if anybody knows anything in regards to a crime or a crime that took place or they believe they even know something or they have some information that could help an investigation, they can call in regards to that and it's anything, any type of criminal matter that could take place and also with our partner agencies if they think there's something going on and it could be even animal abuse, something like that's taking place, these are important as well. They can give us tips on that too. The one thing I will mention about it though is they cannot be a victim. So if a caller or someone was a victim of a crime, they can't call to leave a tip about that crime. Because as strange as it may sound, they would have to go to the police to put the report in because in a sense that crime didn't take place. So to be a victim and to be a tipster, those two can't combine. So what would you consider a tip? Any information that would help law enforcement or uh, any of our partner agencies with their investigations. So it could be the smallest bit of information about a vehicle, a person's name, a nickname, uh, a description of something, a location of someone. It could be anything. What kind of crimes can someone call or contact Crime Stoppers with? So I would say any. Uh, typically we see tips in regards to drugs, robberies, break and enters, prostitution weapons. Uh, we also see tips come in after certain events take place in the city such as a homicide or shooting. These are also uh, valuable. Then there are those tips in regards to people selling illegal tobacco, there's illegal gaming and one like I said earlier close to my heart, I'm sure yours Genevieve, is and the listeners too, true crime real time as well as the animal abuse. So animal abuse is also something we take and we send the tips to the proper agencies and all I can say is just keep them coming. And does Crime Stoppers operate on a 24-hour basis? 100%, yes. There's always somebody available to take a call, and there's always somebody monitoring the lines to take your tip. So you went over the ability to make a tip by phone and by web, correct? Correct, yes. So the 1-800-222-TIPS will connect you with um, Crime Stoppers, and someone will be able to take the information over the phone that way. And if you go to our website as well, you can get the information from our website. There's a submit a tip. It walks you through everything. So when you do submit a tip, you can fill out the information. It's a fill in the blank almost form. And it also explains some of the things in regards to leaving a tip. Again, the victim part. If you're a victim, it clearly states that you can't leave a tip. And once you provide that tip um, on the web, it'll come to us and it'll be captured and then we'll be able to address it at that point in time too. So uh, if a tip's called in, who answers the phone? Who is the person at the other end of the line? And what type of questions do they typically ask? So it's either a 
it'll either be a coordinator like like myself or a qualified call taker after hours that'll be answering the phone and they'll take as much information as they can to make the tips stronger and clearer for investigators uh, for instance locations dates descriptions times of day any weapons or not types of drugs um, if it's a drug tip things like that they'll, they'll get so kind of like a, what, I, what I mentioned earlier in regards to the information we'll always try and get from them However, there is never any questions that will identify the tipster their, or their location, and it's often shared. Uh, this information, like I said, even when you leave a submitted tip on the web, it's shared to the tipster that we do not want any personal information whatsoever. You touched on this a bit earlier, but how can a tipster follow up on a status of a lease? Okay, that's another great question, Genevieve. So uh, when a tipster calls in, the information has been taken. The crime stopper coordinator the after-hours service will provide the tipster an ID number. This is the only number anybody ever refers to again. The tipster, when they call in or uses the web, they're also given a password. So the password's important too because then they can go in via the web and they can do it uh, by the computer or however they want to do it. And they can now leave more information or they can do a follow-up where they can just see what's happening with the tip or where it's gone to as well. So are there any current cases where you are actively hoping for tips? So there is, actually I might touch on one if I may. I just recently did a reenactment for a fail to remain at Maine and Sanford. So the actual event that took place was a gentleman was crossing the road at Maine and Sanford and he was struck by a vehicle. Uh, the pedestrian uh, suffered life-threatening injuries and the vehicle left the scene. So it's sad the driver of the vehicle actually left the gentleman laying in the middle of the roadway at Maine and Sanford. The vehicle that struck the pedestrian as he was crossing the road fled the scene and the investigators are currently looking for that, that vehicle and it's one of those ones that we work on as well to try and help them with and we try and give them some information in regards to or give the listeners or the people that are watching information that might help them refresh their memories a bit and maybe be able to call back and give us some and sadly the uh, victim died of his injuries as well when did that take place so that was in september 20th of this year at main street and sanford avenue was there a reenactment done on that one? I did. I did a reenactment on that one, yes. And it was on uh, the media. It was done on CHCH. We did a reenactment in regards to the information of the vehicle, and we put some information out there, hoping that we could get some tips and tipsters to come forward with some information for the investigators. Do you post any of the reenactments on your website or on YouTube? These are all great questions. It's fantastic. Like So, yes, we do, actually. And we post, uh, post them all, and they're also on YouTube. So we will get the link, and we'll get them out there. And it's a matter of us linking it to YouTube and our uh, main page. The reenactments are there. And I also do radio spots, so you'll be able to hear the radio spots as well. Typically, I will do a radio spot that's going to also be the same as the reenactment we'll put them together, we'll put them on the website, and we'll also put them on our Facebook page too. And we talk about also PSA, so it's not always about a reenactment, it's not always about a crime that's taken place. It depends, we may find a crime that we feel would be it would be beneficial for us to do a reenactment or the radio spot on. We'll go to the investigators and talk to them about it. We'll have a sit down and see the benefits to it. Or if we have something else that might get out there, it could be a public service announcement, for instance, there could be some street racing going on that's becoming a hot topic or uh, a lot of activity that way. So we'll talk about uh, street safety, road safety, just some things to help some listeners out and also help law enforcement out a little bit too. So we'll do public service announcements to let people be aware of things too. For instance, we're looking for board members. So 
if anybody listening to True Crime Real Time and Genevieve wants to become a board member of uh, Hamilton Crime Stoppers, they can contact our office as well. And did you want to give us your social media contacts? That would be fantastic. Thank you. We use Facebook. You can find us at Hamilton Crime Stoppers. We also use Twitter. And if you go to at Stop N Crime, so that's S-T-O-P, the letter N is a Nancy Crime. And we have our new Instagram page, which is up and running. And that is at Crime Stoppers Hamilton. And I'm hoping True Crime Real Time is going to be following us soon. I definitely will be. <laughs> um, and for YouTube, where what um, what's the channel for that one? Well, that's a good question. So YouTube channel, you would just go on and find it under Hamilton Crime Stoppers. Typically is where it is. So are there any current statistics that you can share on solved rate based? So. That's a great question. I honestly, Genevieve, I appreciate that question. There are certain things I can and can't mention. Again, it's about protecting the program and protecting anonymity. So there's certain things I won't talk about. So I'm gonna try and answer that one as best I can, I guess. There's nothing specific we can mention. Due to the nature of the program, we were kind of unable to brag about our successes, even though there have been many cases in which a tip has been made. It has made all the difference in the outcome of an investigation and because of a tip, the crime has been solved. One of the remarks that explains the importance of Crime Stoppers program to our community and the police uh, in the fight against crime was made by a past OPP commissioner by the name of Thomas B. O'Grady. And he said, fingerprinting, the relevance of DNA and Crime Stoppers are the top three innovations in modern day policing. And that statement alone says everything. Some stats I can give you in regards to some things that have taken place in Hamilton since its inception is well over 6,000 arrests, over 10,000 cases cleared. And these are just numbers that just drawn out a little bit from and there's pro and they're continuously growing. There's, there's hundreds of thousands of dollars that has been recovered and Hamilton year to date, it's close to $3 million, I would say, in regards to total recoveries. Drug seized is close to $3 million, and cash recovered is upwards of $200,000, as well as property being up there with the good numbers, too. So it's, it's been an outstanding program, and it's just, I think that speaks volumes in, in regards to its success as a program. And do you have a success story that you can share? I think Crime Stoppers itself is a success story. I wish I could talk about a success story, but that one I'm only going to deflect a little bit because as much as I want to share more time with true crime in real time and you Genevieve I have to be careful because I can't really share too many success stories or I can't even share one really because that might give the identity of someone away and we want to protect that anonymity great question though did you have any parting words that you'd like to share with the audience keep the tips coming in and it's opportunities like this to work with you Genevieve and true crime real time a podcast that just give us an opportunity to get Crime Stoppers out there more and make people more aware that we are here for them to help them and make communities safer and work in partnership with you know media community and law enforcement as well but this is a great opportunity and I can only hope that I get to come back and speak to your listeners and you I guess. This brings us to the end of Monica Chazar's story. Remember Monica is still missing. It's been a year and a half so if you have any information that can help bring a closure or solve this mystery, please contact the police directly or to Crime Stoppers. I hope you'll join me in two weeks' time as I delve further into another unsolved case. In the meantime, here's another podcast that I highly recommend. Ain't nobody gonna leave this place alive.
Welcome to the True Crime Lab Podcast, a new show from Jay and Ruboy about true crime. Join us as we cover topics like notable and unknown crimes, serial killers, cults, white-collar crimes, and more. With deep dives into stories, narratives, and thorough research, we hope you learn something new about even the most discussed cases. We'll be covering topics each week, so you'll always have something fresh to listen to. Mmm, fresh. You will soon find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and everywhere else you get your stories. As you traverse this crime-laden world with us, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review to let us know what you think about our show. So enter the True Crime Lab with true, true friends, friends talking about true, true crime. crime. Ain't nobody gonna leave this place alive. getting closer if you have questions comments or case suggestions i'd love to hear from you you can email me at truecrimerealtimepod at gmail.com or complete the case submission form on our website i want to thank you for listening to this episode of true crime real time if you've enjoyed this episode please give us a good rating and leave us a review this will help our reach and bring more attention to the cases we cover. 